Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, yes? So Jonathan just leaned over to me, and our tech guys at home know this. I'm not to be trusted with technology, and he just said, you're probably gonna need to turn your mic on. So we're, we're off to a great start. Come on. Uh, hey, can you do this for me? Would you celebrate your pastors one more time? Come on. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, amazing people. And I, so if you're around me for any period of time, one of the, uh, everybody has different gifts that God has given them. One of mine is to be an encourager. Uh, I love encouraging people. I just believe that God has good days ahead for you. I believe that if you're alive, you're not done, baby. And God's got stuff for you. And so when Jonathan and Lindsay asked me to come and hang out with you guys for part of your summer, I, that was right up my alley. Like to be in California on a summer Sunday, there's not much better than that. Uh, my wife and I are from Oklahoma, uh, but we've spent a significant part of our life in California, so we are uh, Kalaokis, or however you would put that together, and uh, it is, if, if you've hung around, anybody have Oklahoma roots in here, by the way, Oklahoma, you live in Oklahoma, you came from Oklahoma, okay, you know this, uh, right now it's 275 degrees and 100% humidity back there, so yeah, I know you think it's hot here, but this is beautiful, this is just like, I just want to be outside and soak all this in, so we're thrilled to be with you uh, this morning, and uh, I want to, this morning, bring to you a word from Psalm chapter 34, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 34. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, maybe you're watching online, you can get an extra cup of coffee, kick your feet up, and we'll put these verses on the screen as well. Uh, but this summer at our church, we're spending our summer going through the Psalms uh, because the Psalms are kind of like songs for the road. These are great traveling companions. Uh, the Psalms are a great summer reading program. You could think about it that way because they're a reminder of God's goodness, his faithfulness, and they often uh, help us put words to things that we're feeling. Uh, what, one part of the Psalms uh, is one factor in them is that they're, they're, they're often songs. They're written to be sung. And so they're kind of like your favorite song. They have, an, they have a quality to them with, that when you read the Psalms, you go, oh yes, I feel that way too. And it's kind of like your favorite song when it comes on the radio, if you're in the car. I know I said this last service and I caught myself. I know that we don't have, that we, anybody actually listen to the radio anymore? It's like, people, Ethan, you just dated yourself. Nobody listens to the radio anymore. Whatever you're listening to your favorite music on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, and you're listening to your favorite music, and uh, your, your band comes on, it's your jam, it's your song, right? And you're like, oh, I love this, turn this up, whether it's, you know, the Beach Boys or Elvis or Machine Gun Kelly or whatever you're into, right? You go, ah, oh, I like this song, turn this up. Why is that? There's something about words put to music that express something in our heart. You go, oh yeah, I feel that same way. It's like, it's, it's why when we're in good seasons of life, we love those songs that are just party songs. It's just like, yeah, who let the dogs out after all? Come on, let's just, like, like yes, you want, you want to beat, you want to, you want to roll the windows down, you want to party, right? And then there's times when we're, when we're brokenhearted and we want to hear, you know, uh, sad country songs about a girl carving her initials into the guy's upholstery because he cheated on her, right? It's just like, yes, that's, I want to do that, right? Because that's how I feel. That's the Psalms. The Psalms, uh, one theologian said, all of the Bible speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. They have an ability to go, yes, that's how I feel. And it's especially important uh, with the Psalms because the Psalms were written over hundreds and hundreds of years. So it would be one thing if you read the Psalms and you said, oh, there's, there was one person one time that felt the way that I do. But the Psalms were written by a bunch of different authors, which makes it unique in all of Scripture. 
They were written over generations. Uh, Moses, if you remember him from your Bible study, right, the Exodus guy, uh, he wrote over 40 of the Psalms. David, the king of Israel, wrote over 70 of the Psalms. And if you're an 80s kid, any 80s kids in here, you're gonna love this. There's actually a guy named He-Man that wrote one of the Psalms. Come on, how good is that? God's got a sense of humor after all. And so the Psalms were written by all these people. Why does that matter? Because when you read them, it's not just some thoughts that were true about one person. You can read them and go, man, if Moses felt that way and David felt that way and I feel this way, maybe I'm not crazy. And if God showed up for them, maybe God can show up for me. Am I right? So Psalm 34, we're going to read this together. And uh, in particular, I want to give you just a tiny bit of context about this Psalm. Psalm 34 is written by King David. King David wrote this in a very significant season of his life. In the preaching business, we call that a suspense drink. I take that right at the perfect time of the message, just to leave you hanging for a second. David wrote this at a, at a time in his life when he's running for his life. If you remember the history of Israel, Saul is the first king of Israel. David has been anointed the next king of Israel while Saul is still alive, which means that Saul is suspicious of David. He's worried about David taking all of his stuff because kings don't like it when you take their power. Have you figured this out on planet Earth yet? And so David is a threat to Saul. Saul is very insecure, and Saul starts coming after David, literally throwing spears at him, threatening his life. So David goes on the run. He's in exile, and he finds himself in a little town called Gath. And if Gath sounds familiar to you, it's because there's a very particular giant from scripture whose hometown was Gath. The, the, the giant that David killed, Goliath, was the hometown hero of Gath. He was the quarterback on the football team. He was their best basketball player. He was their hero. And David killed him. So, so David goes to Gath, not because it's the favorite you know, summer vacation destination of the Jewish people, but because he has nowhere else to go. Not only that, you cannot make this stuff up. David walks into Gath, Goliath's hometown, with Goliath's sword strapped to his side. You can read the whole thing in 1 Samuel 21. Uh, fascinating story, something like out of Lord of the Rings. David doesn't have a sword. He needs a sword. He goes, oh, is there, does anybody have a sword here? And they go, we have no sword but the sword of Goliath. Oh. And they bring it out. He's like, I'll take it. Puts it on his hip, not knowing that he's about to walk into this town. So here's the scene. Imagine this. David is walking into this town where he's killed their hometown hero, hoping nobody recognizes him. But if they don't recognize his face, this giant sword that makes him look like a midget is way too big for him. It's like this flashing neon light going, hey, just in case you forgot, this guy killed your favorite person. And David, worried about uh, what's going to happen to him in this city has his worst fears realized. It says the men of Gath recognize him, arrest him, and bring him before King Achish. In fact, if you're, if you're reading through Psalm 34, maybe in your Bible it has a headline that says, David wrote this psalm when he pretended to be mad in the presence of King Abimelech. Now, that may sound like it contradicts itself, but Abimelech is a Persian title for emperor. It'd be like a way of saying Caesar. So it's talking about this king. His name is Achish. David finds himself in front of him, and he, he's, he's worried about being put in prison or worse, maybe killed. And so he, he goes to the only strategy he can think of on the fly, and he just pretends to be loco, like full-on Arkham Asylum nuts. He's, and First Samuel literally says he's foaming at the mouth like a dog with rabies. He has spit running down his beard. I don't know what all he's saying or doing, but the king looks 
looks, the king buys this whole act. Apparently David was a good actor. And he goes, don't I have enough crazy people in my town? Why did you bring me a crazy person from Israel? Get rid of this guy. And so David escapes. Now he has no place to go, no other town to go to. So he finds himself in the wilderness living in a cave. And it's either in this cave or just shortly after that David sits down and he writes this lesson about what he's learned about the character of God and the ways of life. And he writes this down in Psalm 34. Now, the reason that that's so important to me is because if you read Psalm 34 in a vacuum, it's good words. It's always God's word for you. But when you understand the context, it brings these words to life and it makes them even more powerful. So we're going to read this together. We'll read eight of these verses. Uh, If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Psalm 34, verse one, we'll put it on the screen. David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Probably not the way that I would start a letter from a cave, but this is exactly what David says. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I love this verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, for just a few moments as we talk about this, I just ask that with these words kind of as the backdrop for our hearts and our minds, would you speak to us? Help us to see you clearly so that we can follow you boldly. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Have you ever been in a situation like that? I think we all probably have, where life feels big, it feels a little bit overwhelming, and like David, maybe we feel like we're heading someplace. David had a promise that he would one day be the king of Israel. He had a dream and a picture in his heart of where he was gonna end up, but it doesn't match his reality. His reality is a cave. His reality is exile. And David, in the middle of this season, points to a principle that he had learned over and again in his life, and that is the principle that praise is powerful. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about the power of praise, because David starts this psalm in a place that maybe you wouldn't think of him starting this psalm. He says, I'm going to bless the Lord. Why is David saying these words from the cave? It's because David had learned this. David had learned that no matter what's happening in my life, it is possible for me to begin the process of trusting God for a better outcome by the words, the posture of my heart, and the things that are flowing out of my life. And if I will choose praise in the most difficult situations of my life, it can begin to turn things around because praise is not just a natural activity that we take of putting poetry out or putting putting words out or putting music out. Praise is the posture of a heart that's been changed by God, believing in faith that he's going to do something good. This is the power of praise. David had learned this. In fact, this is one of the places in the Bible, one of the ideas in the Bible that God does not leave us guessing on. Uh, There are a lot of things in the Bible that you might have to dig for. and You go, what does God think about this thing? Praise is not one of those things. Over and again, God goes out of his way to say praise is powerful. This is why when the nation of Israel is taking their very first city in the promised land, the city of Jericho, God says, you're going to have an amazing victory here, but it's not going to come because you had a strategy and a 
sword. It's going to come because you played instruments and you shouted something out of your mouth because I want you to see that when you trust me with your praise, I'll be the power that backs it up. I will work in your circumstance if you'll choose to trust me. There's a story in the Bible of the nation of Israel needing a victory and God goes out of his way to say, hey, I want you to do something different. I want you to put the band in front of the army. The band is gonna praise, praise. the band is gonna worship, the band is gonna play music, and by the time you get up to the battlefield, the battle's gonna be completely won. You're not gonna have to lift a finger to win this battle. You're gonna fight by praising. When Paul and Silas are in prison in the book of Acts and they don't have a way out, much like David in the cave, all they know to do is go back to what they've been doing before. What were, what were the first disciples doing when the Holy Spirit was given in the book of Acts, when the goodness and power of God was poured out to launch the very first church? They were locked in a room, praising and worshiping God, praying, and they said, oh, we're, we're just gonna go back and we're gonna do that same thing. It doesn't matter if we're in an upper room or a prison cell, we can praise God and God shows up. Why does God go out of his way from the beginning to the end of the Bible. The end of the story is you and me praising God for eternity. Why does God go out of his way to tell us how important this is? Because he knows that this is, this is his tool that he's given you. This is how he created you. This is what he made you for. And when you choose to practice praise, even when you're in a difficult circumstance, it, it can begin to turn it around. David knows this, but what specifically does praise do? Three things that I want to point out from Psalm 34 that praise does. And the reason that I want to point this out is because as an early, when I, I grew up in church, I was kind of born in a church. I was in church all the time, but like many teenagers, I kind of wanted to do my own thing, ran from God, ran from the church, but I rededicated my life to God as a senior in high school. And when I did, one of the things that I had misunderstood about the church was that this music thing that we do at the beginning, I always thought of it like the appetizer. It's like, yeah, you can take or leave it, if, but, but we're really here for the main course and, or we're really just here to kind of check our spiritual box. And I didn't understand what praise really was. And when I begin to understand what praise was and why it's a gift from God, I begin to understand, oh, this isn't just something like when we came in this morning and we're singing these songs, it's, we weren't just singing them because Jonathan and Lindsay couldn't come up with a better way to start service. It wasn't like, I don't know, let's just do that music thing again, I guess. No, no, no. It's much different than that. It's much more significant than that. And it's much more spiritual than that. And when I first started following God, here's my first thought about music in church. And I don't know if you're, if you're young, maybe you can relate to how I felt. It's like, yeah, I love music. I don't, that's not my style of music. But when I begin to understand, oh, we're doing something spiritual when we're worshiping and praising God, not just something natural. It began to change everything in my walk with God. And so David points to three ideas from Psalm 34. And here, here's the first one. The reason that praise is so powerful and so important is because praise lifts. Look at what, how David begins his Psalms. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times, Psalm 34, one. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David says, I'm not just gonna praise God Sometimes I'm going to praise God all the times. I'm not just going to praise God in good days. I'm going to praise God, especially in the bad days. And hadn't David learned about bad days? David might be the poster child in all of the Bible for what it's like to be in a tough situation. He was, he was misunderstood by his, his dad. He was left out on the hillside when the prophet comes to anoint the king. All of his brothers go in to, to see the prophet. David's tending sheep on the hillside, even though he was the one that God wanted to anoint. He finds himself running from the king in dangerous situations, almost always in battle and living in the cave. But David had learned that if I choose to make praise a lifestyle, it lifts me above the circumstances that I'm in. It lifts my mind and my heart out of the doom and gloom of the world around me. And don't we live in a world that tends to weigh us down? 
If, if the world around us is like a hundred anchors dragging on the back of our life, financial pressure, political pressure, pandemic pressure, all the things that you know all too well that we've experienced over the last season. And those of you that have lived for a while, you know, those are just the most current things. They're, life has always been difficult. And if we live in a world that tends to weigh us down, it's important to understand that you weren't made for that world. Your heart wasn't made to take the beating that it takes every single day. Your heart was made to be soft, to be protected. You were made for Eden, my friend. You were made to walk with God in the cool of the day. You were meant for your heart to be loved and understood. And one day at the end of all time, in eternity, your heart will return to heaven. Your spirit will live on forever and you will have a perfect experience of being loved fully by God and loving him fully. But in the in-between, we live in a world that beats up our heart. That's why we live with a lot of anxiety and worry and depression. And God says, I wanna give you a way that can actually help lift you above the fray of everything happening in this world so that you can begin to have a piece of kingdom come in your life and your family right here, right now, no matter what you're experiencing. Praise lifts and it overcomes the heaviness of this world. This is exactly what Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, wrote uh, in, in Isaiah 61. He's describing the character of God and specifically he's prophesying about Jesus. So these words from Isaiah 61 actually have double meaning for those of us that follow Jesus. But he says this in Isaiah chapter 61. He says, he, God, specifically Jesus, one day for you and me, will provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now those three words, you could spend a whole, a whole sermon series just talking about those two words, that it's possible to have Zion. It's possible to have a great life, things going well. I've got the job. I've got the house. I've got the four-wheeler and the shotgun and the dog. I've got all the stuff I want, but yet there's still this grief, and that's the nature of life, is that no, you're, you cannot create a perfect life on planet Earth. There will always be things that dig into that, thorns and barbs and things that hurt you, but, but yet Jesus says, oh, even those that have a great life and still grieve, I'm going to provide something that, that overcomes that for them. And he says this, he's, I'm going to provide for those who grieve in Zion. No, go back. Thank you. Rewind. There we go. Go back. Isaiah 61. Yes. Cause I don't have it memorized in case you didn't know this. Pastors don't have the whole Bible memorized. It's really, it's it, that, that might break your heart. Okay. He provides for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Many of you have probably heard these verses. Here's this exchange happening. What you have exchanged for what God has a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Now, the, one of the things I, I love about this picture is that God, God says, hey, look at me. He says, he says I know you're going to grieve. I know you're going to have despair. That, that word despair there at the end of those verses maybe could be better translated heaviness. I know you're going to have these things in your life that are heavy and they worry you, but I'm going to give you an antidote. I'm going to give you a way to lift yourself over those issues. Get your perspective out of the gloom and doom and get your eyes back on the future that I have for you. And he calls it a garment of praise. Now, if I was going to describe the antidote for heaviness of this life, I don't know that I would use a garment. Uh, I think I would probably say, I don't know, I've got a medicine for you. I've got a, I've got a, 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 a thing you can read. I've got a book for you. But, but, but God describes this praise, this, this activity that we can take part in like a garment. He says, this garment of praise is going to be the antidote to heaviness. And one of the reasons I love that is because God does this over and over again in the Bible. You can track this pattern all the way through scripture. When we're dealing with ideas, 
um, things that feel hard to grab, things, things that feel like wisps of smoke. Don't feelings feel that way sometimes? Our, our emotions, hard to describe. Uh, they feel like an inner, inner storm, an inner turmoil. God says, I wanna get you out of the world of just the nebulous, the airy, the ideas, the philosophies, and I wanna give you something concrete in the real world that you can hold on to. So when he describes this tool that he gives us, I love that he describes something in my world that I'm familiar with. And he says, this, this is gonna give you a picture of praise, and he describes it like a garment. Now, it's the middle of the summer. I don't think it, very many of us are wearing jackets or sweaters. Does anybody have a loose jacket, a loose sweater, uh, like, a, like a cardigan, something hanging on their shirt? Uh, did, did you bring one? Do you have it? Can I borrow it? Is that okay? Can, can, I, can I borrow it? I promise to give it back. I also promise not to stretch it out. What's your name? Can we give some, some love to Kitty? Put your hands together. Thank you, Kitty. First of all, first of all, this is classy. I was not expecting something. This, this is like, this is really nice. Um, I, you know, I, but, well, I, just good news though. This will be the most blessed garment in your whole wardrobe after this. I'm just going to pray over it and just bless it. Miracles are going to happen. You're going to get a front row parking spot at Target every time you wear this from here on out. All right. All right. So he describes... He describes praise as a garment. Now, this, this, not, 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 a, not a trick question. You know, you know what this is. We don't use the word garment anymore, by the way. This, this is like, what would you call this? A shawl? A cardigan? A cardigan is fair? Okay, a cardigan. So a jacket, a cardigan, a sweatshirt, right? Not a trick question. Why, why do you wear a coat? Because it's cold. Yeah, it's cold outside. I promise I'm not going to pull the rug out from under you and get sneaky with you. I promise. Okay. So we wear, we wear a jacket outside because it's, it's cold and we want to be warm. Okay. So when you put it on, when you put on a, a coat, does it change the temperature outside? No. Does it change anything about your surroundings at all? No. A coat doesn't change your surroundings. A coat changes how you feel in the surroundings. Praise does not always immediately change your circumstance, but it will always change you. Praise is something that you put on to go between you and everything happening around you. So when the world gets tough, when things start to spin out of control, God says, oh, I'm going to give you something so simple and so practical that it's like, a, it's like a, a sweatshirt in your closet. It's not complicated. It's not weird. It's not way out there. And it's something that you can do anywhere. You always have it at your disposal and you can always put it on. When you put on, I don't know how I'm going to put this on. We're going to do this. This is, nobody take any pictures. This is going to be the most embarrassing. Actually, that's pretty classy, guys. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that. I'm going to have to go home and get something a little lacy. This is kind of nice. All right. This isn't, this isn't doing a whole lot for me wearing it like this, but you get the idea. When you put it on, it puts something between you and what's going on around you so that you can stay in that environment without falling apart. If you go ski at Tahoe during the winter, which sounds fantastic right now, you go ski at Tahoe during the winter, you're up at Truckee, you're up on, I don't know, Heavenly or something like that. If you have all the gear, right, you've got the helmet, the goggles, the, the jacket and everything, you can be out on the mountain for days and be fine. Yes, you're fine. Not only are you fine, you paid money to be there. You're loving it. You're having a great time. You're just sloshing through the powder, carving your way down the hill, high-fiving your friends. It's awesome. We love it out here. This is awesome. The same exact environment, not, I don't know, I don't know, six, seven, eight generations ago, they died in. 
They died trying to cross that same environment because they didn't have the gear to sustain them in that environment. You parachute somebody in a tank top and flip-flops on the mountain, they're not probably gonna make it down before they freeze. Why? They're not dressed for it. When you take praise as a follower of God and you set it off to the side, you're not dressed for this world anymore. You're not, you're, praise is this thing you put on and you start going, you know what? I'm going to be okay. You know what? The world's tough, but God's bigger. You know what? Not, that, didn't, that didn't work out. That, mean, that, must mean, that must mean God has something else. That door closed. There must be another one that's going to open. Praise keeps your eyes above the storm on God and on the future, and it may not change anything about our world. Our world may get crazier in the next six months. Things, there may be more war. There may be more economic turmoil, but the person that praises, oh, you're dressed for it. You go, oh, uh, you know what? Not only am I okay, I'm kind of thriving. I kind of have different ideas. I have different dreams. I have different relationships. Everybody else is troubled. My house is at peace. Everybody else's marriage is falling apart. Mine's doing pretty good because I'm perfect. No. Does a garment change anything about you physically? No. It's something outside of you put around you to change your experience inside of an environment that's difficult. Praise is not an appetizer to church. Praise is not optional equipment for the follower of Jesus. Praise is mandatory equipment for the journey that God has you on. And when you begin to praise God, it lifts your perspective up. Oh, it changes what you see. It changes the possibilities going through your mind. You know this, your brain psychologically was not created to contain two competing thoughts at the same time. The second you lay down worry and you start to elevate praise, you start to elevate the goodness of God, it starts to lift all of those things up with it. If I was to say right now in this room, don't think about pink elephants. Don't think about them. Whatever you do right now, do not think about pink elephants. Don't think about their long pink trunk. Don't think about their big pink flappy ears. Don't think about their four big giant pink trunk, tree trunk legs and their tiny uh, you know, little pink tail waving in, the, waving in the wind with a little pink bow on it. Don't think about that. Whatever you do, what are you thinking about right now? That stupid pink elephant. Why? It's what we're focused on. What focuses your mind when there's two competing ideas? Anybody have any idea? What about when you're at war with two ideas? What comes out of your mouth will always be the rudder that steers your mind. This is what James says. He says, if you can control your tongue, it's like a rudder to a ship. I can control everywhere that ship goes if I control my tongue. What is praise? Praise is changing the narrative of my life based on the character of God, not the nature of my circumstances or even my own personal ability. Praise is not about you. Praise is not about how good you are. Praise is not about how strong you are. Praise is about how good God is, how strong God is, God's plan for your life. And when you begin to do that, oh baby, you're dressed different. Oh man, you're looking pretty good when you walk out in God's eyes now and you're, you're, it's changed. Now, one last thought about this. A garment, again, not a trick question. When you have this hanging, you would probably, this, this is probably hung in a very special place in your house. Uh, wherever you have this hanging, right? Uh, does the coat put itself on? No, the coat doesn't put itself on. None of your hoodies are yelling at you from your closet. Hey, pick me today. It's not happening. You, you have to walk in. You have to intentionally grab it and you have to intentionally put it on. Praise is the exact same way. Praise is never forced on you. Praise is a choice. Now, here's why this matters. The reason you want this to be true is this. That means that praise can be your choice anywhere. Praise can be your choice walking into the boardroom on Monday morning. Praise can be your choice when you have a difficult situation with an employee. Praise can be your choice when you're not sure what to do with your kids. Praise can be your choice. Why does it matter? Is, do we just praise to make God happy? Oh, Jonathan's praising me. I'm so happy with him. Let me throw out some blessing. No, praise 
changes how I feel, aligns me with God, and now opens up all of my life to start thinking God's thoughts and walking in God's ways. Make sense? All right, let's give, let's give her a hand one more time for this. I don't, can you hand this back to her? I don't wanna throw it too far. I don't wanna be responsible for any damage to that. Okay, uh, praise is a garment we put on. So praise lifts us, it changes our perspective. But praise doesn't just change my perspective. It, does, it aligns me under the, the kingship and the lordship of God. So praise is not just about you. Praise is about you and God, make sense? So the second idea David points us to is this idea that praise builds. So praise lifts, but also praise builds. What, what does praise build? Praise builds my confidence in God's way of doing things. Look at what David says. He says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. It's a, it's a very poetic way of saying this. When I look to God, I, the, the things people see on me and in my life, it's not gonna be full of shame and discouragement and broken down places. There's gonna be a confidence and a forward momentum to my life, but it all hangs on those four words. Who looks to him? In other words, praise reminds me that I don't have life figured out and I need somebody with a perspective above me to help me figure all of this out. Praise is the, is the first thing I do, but it creates a pattern in my life that says, okay, if I can praise God with the, the, simple, the simple act of, of, of obedience, of words coming out of my mouth with praise to God, then I can trust God with everything in my life. I can trust God with how he says to do things with anything. Look up here. Any place in your life that you want to see the goodness of God, you have to understand a biblical principle that God's life, the blessing that you want from God is always connected to God's ways. So if you want more of God's life in anything, you need more of God's life in any area, you would circle it in your, you know, your, your, your life plan and you would go, that's an area I need to see God show up. The only way to have more of God's life is to walk in more of God's ways. You can't separate God's life from God's ways. You can't walk any way you want and expect to see God's life. Praise reminds you that you can trust God, not because he has a big ego and just demands that you obey all the rules, but because he loves you, he sent his son for you, he's given you his grace, and if he gave you Jesus, won't he give you all good things along with him? This is the message of the gospel, is that you can trust God, but here's the challenge, and you already know this. At the beginning, when God asks me to do anything, it never feels like it's enough. But isn't that exactly what praise reminds us of? Praise never feels like, what, does, what do a few simple words have to do with changing anything even? How does it change anything? But it's, it's, not the, it's not the words themselves that change things. It's the faith in God opening up the door for him to work in your life that changes everything. So the confidence that I have by trusting, okay, God, if you said that this matters, that I praise you, that this actually changes me and it changes my circumstance, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna start obeying that. That's the moment when everything starts to change. That's a pattern for how everything in God's good world works. God says, I made it all for you and I gave it all to you, all of it. The sky, the stars, the sun, Sometimes it doesn't feel like the sun is a gift from him in the summer, but it's all a gift from God. The good green earth, everything that grows, everybody that's around you, all of this is a good gift from God. God's ask for us is if you trust me that I made it and I gave it to you, will you also trust me to tell you how to live in it and how to work it? 
Imagine that I gave my son a bicycle. I, I have two sons, taught them both how to ride their bike, and if you've taught your kids how to ride a bike, you know the difficult days of first learning how to ride your bike. You're falling over, you're skinning your knees, you're crying, you're hugging, you're saying, get back up there and try it again. If you were my parents, I grew up in a generation where our parents didn't like put helmets or knee pads on us or anything. They just found the steepest hill and pushed us down. You know what I'm talking about? Our kids, like they get babied and coddled in helmets and wrapped in bubble wrap and all this kind of stuff. But you're teaching your kid how to ride the bike. Now, I just want you to imagine I got this bike for my son. I gave my, I, this isn't actually the bike I got for him. I think you can get this one on eBay if you want. So you give, give, give your kid this bike. And you're teaching him how to ride the bike. But I want you to imagine that I, I go in the house and I see, I look out my window and I see my son in the yard with his bike and he's done this. He's, he's flipped the bike over and he's, he's trying to use the bike, but upside down. Now I have four sisters. We grew up doing this with our bikes. If you've had a, if you've had a bike, you've probably done this at some point. You flip it upside down and you pretend like it's an ice cream maker or something, right? But, but that's as much fun as that is for a moment it doesn't actually produce the lasting results that you want from a bike. A bike is designed to get you someplace further and faster than you could just by walking. It's designed to take you places in a, in a much more fun and enjoyable way. And if you have that bike upside down, it's never going to work the right way. When God tells you throughout the pages of his Bible how life works, how marriage works, how your identity works, how your relationships work, how your thoughts work, how your actions work, how your words work, when he, everything he describes is not God telling you just to keep some rules because he wants nicer people. He's describing for us how the world works. Obedience inside of the Christian faith is often misunderstood as morality. Keep the rules and you'll make God happy. You know, in Oklahoma, we have a saying, you know, I, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't, I, don't, I don't chew, I don't run with the girls that do. You know what I'm talking about? So often if you have friends in your life that aren't Christians, they don't go to church, they might think of you that way. Like, oh, oh, you're one of those people. You keep different rules. You do different things. You're just a better person. You don't curse and you don't, you know, whatever. You don't go to those places. You don't smoke that stuff and whatever. That's, that's you. You're a, you're a you're a goody two-shoes. You keep your nose clean. You're a good... That, yes, that's a part of it. But being good, morality, is not the point of all this. Everything God puts in front of you is to help you see, I want to help you understand how it works so you can turn the bike over and use it the right way. I want you to imagine that I walk out in my yard and I, I ask my son, why, why? Well, you have the bike upside down, buddy. Uh, turn it over. And imagine he gets mad at me and he goes, why do you hate me? Why are you so mad at me? Why, why don't you just let me live my life the way I want to live my life and just do things the way I, why can't I just do whatever I want? Don't you love me? I go, whoa, hold on. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love you so much. That's why I gave you the bike in the first place. I just want you to see that if you don't flip it over and use it the right way, you're never going to get where you want to go. And if you try to sit on that bike and ride it upside down, it's not going to be a good day for anybody. It's going to cause pain. Some of us have areas of our life where we're experiencing pain and we're not getting anywhere and we're wondering why life hurts. And God is describing for you, oh, there's some things I want you to start and some things I want you to stop, not so that you can keep the rules, but so that you can live the life I've given you to live because I have a way for you to live it. In God's world, obedience is not about earning anything. It's about aligning everything with God's way of doing it.
So praise, what, how, how does praise work into this? Well, praise goes, okay, if I can trust God with this, then I can trust God with everything. And praise is that way that I, I begin to remind myself of who God is, and it's the way that I begin to choose God's way of doing things. Praise puts God back on the throne of your heart. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. You have somebody sitting on the throne of your heart 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and only you get to pick who sits on that throne. God won't pick for you. And God says, I want that spot in your life. Not because I have a big ego, but because I have a big plan for you and I have good things for you. And if you'll trust me with that throne of your heart, I can lead you into that thing. So praise says, okay, God, I'm gonna put you back above that. Here's why this matters so much in this season. You and I live in a season of life, a, a season of human existence where there is more coming at you every single day to be worried, stressed by, concerned with. And if you don't intentionally choose to flip the narrative and go, God, I'm gonna give you more space in my life so that I can follow you more clearly, you will struggle every single season of your life. And praise says, God, I'm going to give you back that. I'm going to give you back your job. Uh, I, I get emails and, and messages all the time from people in our church. And, and many of them are people dealing with tough situations, especially over the last couple of years. And one of the things I've noticed during this, and I don't say this so that you feel like I'm picking apart people's words when they send me something, but just want you to hear this with ears of grace. Just, just something I've noticed. Often when people send me something, they're, what they're listing out and what they're worried about are things they can't control. They're things beyond their ability to change or, or do anything with. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be active. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't do your part to, to partner with God. But very often, the thing that's bothering you is that you're bothered by something. It's not that you are called to do something about it. So praise says, God, I'm gonna give you your job back. I'm gonna let you run the universe and I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna follow you one obedience at a time. And all oh, the peace that comes with that, all oh, the freedom and the joy that comes with that. And so praise is this we way of me saying, God, you're in charge of my life. And some of you, you're weighed down so much by stuff that's happening right now. You just need to take an old school praise break. You just need to go on a praise fast. You just need to turn off social media for a while. You just need to take this and find a little sleeping bag in your house for it for a little while and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my ringer on. If you need me, you can call me, but I'm going to stop the scroll for just a little while. I'm going to turn this down and I'm going to fill my heart. I'm going to fill my house. I'm going to fill my car with praise. Some of you have never opened your mouth and praised God one time in your life. You're self-conscious about it. You don't sing good. Whatever the, whatever the things are. Listen, praise is not just singing. Praise is not just music. Just start somewhere and start saying and declaring the goodness of God. If you have to wait till you're all by yourself in the car to do it, do it. But practice praise. And what you'll find is that the pressure you were never meant to carry of running life goes off of your shoulders and onto God's great big shoulders. You can go, okay, I'm going to follow God in this season. Praise lifts, praise builds. And the last thought is this, praise unites. Praise unites. David says this. I think it's interesting. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Have you discovered in your life that you need some people around you that cheer you on? They go, hey, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Praise, when we get together and we do it corporately, is not just this moment where uh, we kind of go, okay, that's the religious thing to do or that's the church thing to do. No, it's, it's sometimes coming into a place like that on a, on a high. It's like life is 10 out of 10. Everything is good. And oh, Oh, I'm returning praise to God for his goodness. But sometimes it's walking in when life is at a zero and you've had the setback and you've had the pain, but you get, in, you get around a bunch of other people that are praising Jesus. It affects your heart. It changes you. And it starts to, it starts to remind you, you know what? I'm not alone in this. 
I'm not by myself in this. That's why this matters. Communities of faith don't matter just because we need you know, to, to feel the momentum of a bunch of other people, but I need names and faces. I need stories that are around me, people that will look at me in my life and remind me not just of the bad, but remind me of the good. And when you're around people that ratchet you up, other people that praise God, oh, the, you, we need that more than ever before. There are so many discouraging things and so many people talking trash about so many different things. Man, get around a few people that encourage you and it will begin to change you from the inside out. Praise, when, we, when we're together in this, oh, it creates a unity that's not, that unity doesn't come from anything natural. It doesn't come, listen, if you were to go around this room, there's so many of us that come from different races, different families of origin, uh, different ages. We, some of us have kids, no kids, married, single, but all of us are here united around one thing, and that is that Jesus is the Lord of our life. And when that's the most important thing, here's what it does. It fills us with grace so that we can walk together even though we're different. How countercultural is that? We live in a world that's tearing itself apart because we're different and we think different, we vote different, we act different, whatever. But when Jesus' people get together, it's totally different because we go, oh, yeah, 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 you're different, but I can extend grace to you for our differences and still walk arm in arm with you, still encourage you, still learn from your perspective, and still be better because of you. Not because we're perfect together, but because we serve a perfect God. That praise unites us, but the other thing it does Maybe the most important thought I want to leave you with is this, is that praise, when we're around people that praise and we're around people that put Jesus first, it creates a, a, a supernatural effect on your heart that you were made for. You were not meant to live life in isolation and try to do it alone. You were made to be around people that lift you up and build you up. And when you get around some people that have that kind of attitude, oh man, it changes you. The other day I took my wife uh, to see uh, the Downton Abbey movie. Anybody go see that movie? The reason I'm, I'm very comfortable as a man standing up telling you I went to that movie because I have my man card and I don't have to see you and look you in the eye again, all right? So we went, we went to see that movie. My wife loves Downton Abbey. In fact, my wife and I have very different taste in shows and all that kind of stuff. She loves Hallmark you know, stuff and, and you know, Christmas movies and you know, all that. Don't even get me started on that. Well, can I, it's our last service of the day. I'll just let, Hallmark movies. Have you noticed it's the same story over and over again? Has anybody caught on to this? All right, Vivian got trapped in the little town in Vermont and you know she's not making it out and she's, she's really frustrated by the, you know, the big city job and she's, she's, not, she's not, you know, the marketing job is just not cutting it for her anymore and then in walks Jack. Flannel shirt. Oh, I just got done tapping these trees for the maple syrup we're making. Want to fall in love? Yes, I want to fall in love. You want to stay in Vermont the rest of your life? Absolutely. And life is happy every day. But it's the same story over and over again. My wife loves it. It's great. It's fantastic. I need something blowing up and people dying. I just, just need some action. But Downton Abbey is one of these places we can agree. So we go to see Downton Abbey. We go, to see, we go to see this, and, and all the previews are starting, and you have, you've, you've learned this, right? You don't have to go to the movie till an hour after the actual advertised start time because of all the previews. So we're in there, and all the previews are playing. And during this, uh, this really precious older gal, maybe in her 80s, I would guess, real classy, dressed real nice, comes in and sits right next to me with, I think it's her daughter, and they sit down next to me, and every preview matches Downton Abbey perfectly. It's British movies, love stories, British accents, Victorian costumes, castles. It's all beautiful. And every preview, 
you. Uh, when the preview's ending, this, this, this precious lady reaches over and she's talking. Do you have anybody in your family that talks the whole way during the movies? Like, don't go in there. This is one of those ladies. And she's precious and it didn't bother me at all. Not a big deal. But she's talking during all these, these previews. And one, she, after every preview, she reaches over and she says, oh, we got to go see that, honey. Oh, we got to go see that, honey. And at the, toward the end of these previews, the producers, I don't know what they were thinking. They popped in a preview for the Minions movie. Did, uh, you know this movie? It's this right here. If you don't know what it is, the Minions are these little yellow guys you know what I'm talking about. And, and so when this preview comes on, she reaches over, she grabs her daughter as soon as it comes on and she just says real loud, she says, oh no, never. <laughs> and she, uh, she proceeds to talk during the first part of this preview about how, uh, you know, ridiculous kids movies have gotten and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, but about, you know, I don't know, 20 seconds or so into this movie preview. And again, I don't know who these producers are because the worlds colliding here are just something else. Into this Minions preview, uh, this Eminem song, you know who Eminem is, the old school rapper? This Eminem song starts about halfway through this preview, and as it starts, you know, the, the, the beat starts dropping, and it starts going, and, and uh, all the action starts picking up in the preview, and you know, what, what are the words? Um, you better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. Oh, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow because opportunity comes once in a lifetime. And so all the, all the minions are like throwing, throwing themselves. Don't even get me started on 90s rap, y'all. Listen, I got... Don't let the polo shirt fool you. I got street cred, all right? Here you go. I don't know where that came from. Okay, so... Never mind. I'm not even, okay. So, and so all the minions are throwing each other around and all this during, during, during the movie. You know how this goes. And sla it's real slapstick comedy. Well, I look over, everybody in the movie theater is laughing. Uh, it's a packed theater. Everybody's having a good time. This song's playing. I look over and this, this little gal, her foot starts going like this, just tapping. About three quarters of the way through the preview, she's laughing along with everybody else in the audience. Preview ends, lights go down. I'm not making this up. She reaches over, loud as can be in the whole theater. She grabs her daughter and she goes, we should go see that. That looks cute. Now think about what has happened in the pace, in the span of about 60 seconds. She's gone from, oh no, never, to that looks fun. What happened? The people around her changed everything. It wasn't just the fact that she changed her mind because the preview was really well put together. No, it was the atmosphere. It was the joy of being there with her daughter. It was the laughter in the movie theater. It was the music placed to the whole thing. And all of it changed her perspective and her attitude. Do you have people in your life that wrestle you out of all of the depression and anxiety and get you back to that place where you go from, I don't know if I can make it to, you know what, everything's gonna be okay. From, I don't think we're gonna get out of this to God's still got a plan. And rewind to where we started. David in the cave, right? Dave in the cave. Come on. He's there and he knows God's got a throne room for me. I'm going to be the king of this country. But right now, I don't feel anywhere near that. What is David's lasting lesson? Oh, praise, bless the Lord at all times. Let his praise continually be on your mouth. What has David learned? You know what? Every time I found myself in these crazy circumstances, here's what I think David really learned. David pretended to be crazy in front of this king because he didn't feel like there was any other way out. But I think David learned in that moment, my efforts really aren't what are getting me out of this trouble. My efforts really aren't what are keeping me safe. My efforts aren't really are what, what are gonna get me from the cave to the throne. What's really doing that is God's work in my life. And so you know what? I'm just gonna praise God. I'm gonna trust God. 
and I'm gonna believe that he's got good things for me. And so I, I pray for you this morning that as we walk out of these doors, you would be reminded that you can trust God. Can I challenge you to do something? Can I challenge you to be the kind of people that make this a place that's infectious? Oh man, if you serve, don't just change diapers, don't just park cars, but be a part of making this a right side up community where everybody that comes in here gets loved with no strings attached. They get a smile, they get a word of encouragement. Be the kind of friend in your sphere of influence, in your home, on your floor, on your team, that speaks God's word into people's lives, that brings God's perspective to them. We got enough other junk floating in and out of our ears all day long. Be different. Be the one that goes, you know what God says about that? Oh, you know what God thinks about that? Oh, with your kids. Challenge them to see God's perspective, not just the world's perspective. And you'll find, just like David did, that no matter how stuck you feel or how dark the cave seems, God's not done and tomorrow's gonna be different. Let me pray over you. Lord, this morning, we're thankful for this reminder. And as we sit just in a moment of quiet reflection, I just ask that, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you talk to each heart? Would you refill each person? Lord, this morning, we just turn our attention to you. We push pause on all the heaviness of everything outside these doors, and we just say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for directing our lives. We make a choice this week to be people of praise. Help us to find those little moments, those quiet places to be with you, where we can be refilled, where we can be renewed, so that we have the strength to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, for the person this morning, maybe that's battling significant feelings of depression or anxiety or worry, would you just remind them that they're not crazy? Would you remind them that their heart was made for Eden? Their heart was made to walk with you in the cool of the day. Their heart was made for heaven. And that when this world hurts, it's okay. And that you love them and you wanna meet them right in the middle of that. Would you put that garment around our hearts? Protect our hearts, oh God. Keep us soft for the people that need us. Keep us full of joy and grace for the people that need us. God, help this world not to harden us, callous us, or make us rude or quick. Help us to be gentle because you've been gentle with us. Help us to be loving because you've been loving with us. Thank you for this moment that we have this morning to be renewed from the inside out. And may it be like a river of living water that runs out on everybody around us. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.